I've enjoyed and am continuing to enjoy the favorite Bible passages. Tonight is one of the ones that I put on the list early on because it is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I'm preparing a series of lessons in the month of May on the prophet Malachi. And I am very much convinced that the prophets, particularly the minor prophets, dealt with situations that are so common today. The prophets prophesied to a weak, uncommitted group of God's people. It was very much like the society which we live in today. There are people who believe in all sorts of religious uh, directions, like, for instance, some would follow after the Sidonians, others would follow after the Moabites. There were people whose gods that were of all different flavors and varieties. And the prophets were there to say, but you are God's people. And you need to live like God's people. They showed them where they had gone wrong and how to get back where God wanted them to be. And tonight what we're going to do, we're going to look at Micah. He was a contemporary of Isaiah, and he offered a positive solution to what I have termed a scary situation. What makes it so scary was the fact that God was going to abandon his people, not permanently, but he was going to abandon them and allow them to go into a captivity. And God was holding out in front of them, here is something that you can do to make things better. So here's what we want to do. We want to look at Micah chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 where the case is presented. God's case against Israel. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7 at their proposed solution. What should I do to make things right with God? And then we're going to look at verse 8 as God's prescribed solution to the problem. So let's look, first of all, at verses 1 through 5. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to open them. I encourage you to read along as we study together. Uh, I encourage people to make notes, and this is a good place to do so. Hear now what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, And let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint. And you strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people. And he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you Moses and Aaron and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. From the Acacia Grove to Gilgal that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. This section 
has all the terms of a case being litigated. You think, for instance, here's a person who has a charge against someone else. You have to have lawyers involved. You have to have a jury involved. You have to have a judge who is adjudicating the case properly. Well, the mountains and the hills are considered to be the jury. They are listening to what God is saying against Israel. So you have God as the plaintiff, and the defendant is Israel or Judah, if you will. I want you to listen to a few passages of Scripture, some parallel from the book of Isaiah, that presents this same sort of idea. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. I want you to come and put on your side of the case. Isaiah 50, verse 8. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. You go back to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy 25, verse 1, where Moses writes, If there is a dispute between men, and they come to court that the judges may judge them, that they may justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. What you have before you in Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, is God saying, here's what I want us to do. I want us to reason together. I want you to present your side, and I'm going to present my side before you. So the Lord is going to present his complaint. Now let's look more carefully When we get to verse 3, evidently they have some thought that they are justified in abandoning God. Now, for a moment, just pause with me and let's take a little detour here. Let's think about us practically. Is there any reason for which a man should abandon God today? Is there any reason in your mind for which you should say, you know, I don't need to attend church anymore. I don't need to uh, give of my means. I don't need to be faithful. I don't need to worship God. Is there anything that God has done for which you could justifiably say, yes, it's right for me to choose not to worship God. It's right for me to abandon Him. Well, if you do, present your case. Let's look at verse 3. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. God is putting the burden upon them. I want you to tell me what I have done to you. Did God weary them by placing too great of a burden upon them? Again, for just a moment, detour with me. What has God placed upon you that is so heavy that you should look to God and say, it's just too much for me to serve God? Let's listen to 1 Samuel 12, verse 7. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord concerning the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and your fathers. You see, let's listen and let's see what God has done. God is going to present to us the things that he's done to us, for us. 
Well, did he do something bad? Listen to Isaiah 43, verses 22 and 23. But you have not called upon me, O Jacob, and you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor have you honored me with your sacrifices. I have not caused you to serve me with grain offerings, nor wearied you with incense. God did not place upon them an unreasonable burden. Every burnt offering that they offered, every sacrifice that they presented was to deal with the sins which they themselves have committed. It's not as if God is saying somehow, you've got to give me all of this and I am becoming a burden to you. God didn't do that to them. I'm going to be preaching on Micah, so I'm not going to go into extensive view of chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 at this point, or 12 and 13. But I'd suggest to you that their sacrifices to God were reflective of their concern, but you profane it. In that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, thus you bring for an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Folks, notice carefully there verse 13. He said, you bring the stolen. You've got to bring an animal for an offering to God. Well, that fellow's got one of them. I'll just go get his. I got one that got its foot caught in a stone and it broke its leg and now it's lame. And nobody's going to want to buy a lame lamb and so I'm going to carry it. Got one that's sick, just about to die. They were giving God their scraps. God said, you're saying, what a weariness it is to do that. But what had God done for them? Well, he enumerates. God had brought them, redeemed them from bondage. They had been in captivity to Egypt. They had cried out saying, God, our, our punishment is worse than we can bear. We need a deliverer. We need someone to help us. And God heard their cry. God provided for them great leadership. He said, I gave you Moses, I gave you Aaron, I gave you Miriam. You had somebody, great leadership to lead you out of that bondage. God protected them from those seeking their harm. Remember Balak, the king of Moab, he, he saw the children of Israel coming toward the promised land. He knew that he was not capable of withstanding them. Og, king of Bashan, and uh, all of them had already fallen, Sihon. And so what he did, he went out and he hired Balaam to curse the children of Israel. But you know what happened? When Balaam opened his mouth to curse God's people, he pronounced a blessing upon them. That was God who did that. That was God who provided a blessing for Israel rather than a curse. And then the last part of verse 5 that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. God's been so good to you. God's presented his case now. His case is, 
I have not mistreated you. I have not taken advantage of you. I have not wearied you. So what's your case against me? Let's look at their proposed settlement with God. In verses 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the Most High God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil, Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Hmm. The defendant speaks. And the defendant is apparently sarcastic. Now, whenever someone speaks in a sarcastic tone, you know immediately there's no sincerity there. With what shall I come before the Most High God? What am I going to have to give Him? And then they speak, apparently mocking a checklist. Okay, I've got to come before Him with these burnt offerings, calves of year old. Okay, let me check that off my list. That's what I've got to do. Yes, God asked for burnt offerings. Genesis 8 and verse 20, Noah came out of that great boat, that ark, built an altar to the Lord, took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered a burnt offering on the altar. Exodus 29 verse 18, And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Yes, God had prescribed that. A calves, a year old. You see, a year old calf was the prime offering. Any younger, it was not fully developed. Any older, it was not first fruit. It was old. You go to Exodus 12, verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. But then you have hyperbole. That is exaggeration for the purpose of emphasis. Burnt offerings, calves of year old, but then he turns and he starts talking about thousands of rams. Listen to 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 63, when Solomon dedicated the temple. And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord, 22,000 bulls, 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. That's not normal. Thousands of animals. That was a special occasion in the dedicating of the temple. Folks, let me tell you what they're thinking in their minds. What's it going to take to please God? Thousands of rams? Sarcastically? Exaggerating? The sacrifice of children. 
Now, that was not something that God commanded. That was from those false gods, from those idols. They picked that up from somewhere else. They didn't pick that up from God. Listen to 2 Chronicles 28, verse 3. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire according to the abomination of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. And Jeremiah says that didn't even come into the Lord's mind. The Lord never had any intent. They picked that up from the false worship of other gods. What's it going to take to please God? Let me point out to you, this kind of settlement they're offering is repugnant to God. God doesn't appreciate that either. God doesn't appreciate the thought behind it. You know, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God had instructed Saul to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. And what took place is Saul and the people brought back Agag, the king. They brought back the, back, the best of the flocks. The, anything that was valuable, they brought it back. Everything wasn't worth anything. They left it there. Samuel had to go and rebuke Saul for his failure to do what God told him to do. And Samuel, when he's trying to reason with Saul, says to him in verse 22, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. You see, in their mind, evidently what's going on is I commit a sin, I'll make an offering. I commit a sin, I'll make an offering. Do you realize how some people think? I'll go out here and I'll commit a sin and um, when I get caught for it or when I start feeling sorry for it, then I'll repent. Somehow I'll just justify that in my mind. And Samuel's saying that kind of thought God doesn't appreciate. He'd rather you do what's right to start with and this idea that I'll just, well, I'll just offer a burnt offering and that'll make it all okay. Listen to Psalm 51, verses 15 and 16. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. You desire not, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. And you do not delight in burnt offerings. David understood what God was looking for was not just the offerings that were going to be offered. What God was looking for was the heart of the individual. That's the reason why he's described as a man after God's own heart. I mentioned to you that Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. And you have to realize the thought processes that's going on during this period of time. You go to Isaiah chapter 1, and really the whole chapter deals with it, but I just want to pull out verses 11 through 15. And God says through Isaiah, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, 
Who has required from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and the Sabbaths and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Folks, now listen to that. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings. I don't want you to try to put together people who are going to live like the world and then come and say, well, I'm going to offer my sacrifices. That's going to make it all right. He says, your new moons, your appointed feast, my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your eye, your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. God said, all you are doing is going through the motions. There's no love. There's no joy. There's no desire to please me. You're just offering these sacrifices. Now you know why they're repugnant to God. If you and I sing because, well, i got to sing or they're going to say something about it in the pulpit. I'm going to bow my, oh, I'm going to go to church because if I don't go to church, there's going to be somebody hound me next week and say, well, we missed you. If your heart is not in it, it's not going to be accepted. That proposed settlement will not work. So God prescribes a solution. That's verse 8. What a powerful verse. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He has shown. This is not new teaching. This is not a new message that they've never heard before. Deuteronomy 10, verses 12 through 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep His, the commandments of the Lord your God and His statutes which I command you today for your good. You hear the message this is not new. He's shown you. He showed it to you back in the times of Moses. He has shown you today what he wants from you. God only requires good from man and provides good to man. Let's look at the three things that he says. I could have made a sermon on these three, but I, I felt like what preceded it was so important. To do justly. To do justly. The word just means fair and right. But in the Bible it carries with it even a little bit further thought. A bringing about justice to people who need it and deserve it. Notice with me Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 17 and 18. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty, the awesome who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless, for the widow, and loves a stranger, giving him food and clothing. 
You see, whether it's a person in need, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, God says, I'm going to be just. I'm going to see they're taken care of. Chapter 24, verse 17 in Deuteronomy. You shall not pervert justice due the stranger or the fatherless or take a widow's garment as a pledge. To do justice, to do just means to treat people fairly. But those people of society who have not been treated fairly, who are in a situation of genuine need, orphans, widows, and the stranger, you take care of them. Proverbs 21.3 says, To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Hmm. Isn't that just exactly what Micah has just said? To do justice and righteousness. Love mercy. Proverbs 11.17 says, The merciful man does good for his own soul, but he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. The merciful man, the one who sees other people and has a sense of compassion, someone who hurts when someone else hurts. He loves to express his mercy toward people. Matthew 5 and verse 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Then number three, to walk humbly with your God. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Chapter 18, verse 12, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. And before honor is humility. There's a contrast between the man who has an arrogant spirit and a man who has a humble spirit. Walk humbly with your God. One who understands God's message and walks humbly with it. Isaiah 57 verse 15, For thus says the High and Holy One who inhabits eternity, whose name is Holy, I dwell in a high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. What's God looking for out of me? What's he looking for out of you? For me to be humble enough to say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know the right direction in life I ought to be going. But if I will be careful and I will listen to God's will, God provides that direction. And I don't need to be arrogant to try to... to modify God's plan, but to just simply follow it. James six four through James four verses six through ten, but he gives more grace. Therefore God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Resist, therefore submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Cleanse your heart, you sinners, purify your heart, you double minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. God has a case against all who've sinned. He had a case against Israel and He's got a case against us.
it's important how I approach God. I can come to God and humbly say, God, I'm sorry, I've messed up. I have made the mistake. You are righteous and I am not. And God will humbly accept us back. Either we're going to come in self-righteousness or desiring to placate God or love for God and fellow man. Here's the issue. We either settle with God on His terms or we don't settle at all. I like the way Isaiah goes on in Isaiah chapter 1 and puts it like this. Come now, let us reason together. Says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be white like wool. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Pretty plain. He's shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. If you're not a Christian, you're not walking with God. But you can change that in just a few minutes. You can come forward and say, I want to be a New Testament Christian. I want to be baptized for the remission of my sins. We'll assist you in doing that. If you are a child of God and you have been stubborn, rebellious, and saying, I want to do it my way, now's the time for you to back up and say, no, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to walk humbly with Him. Would you come while together we stand and sing?